This is good. But what is best in life? The open step. Three thoughts. Falcons at your wrist. And the wind in your hair. Wrong! Conan, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of your women. That is good. That is good. So you want to watch a movie, but you don't know which. Choosing the one can be a bitch. But Jared and Drew have perfected the art. So sit back, relax, and trust the dark. It's Dartboard Movie Night. What's going on, everyone? I'm Drew. And I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. This week, we're headed back to the 80s to dig into the origins of one of the greatest movie stars of all time as we cover John Milius' 1982 fantastical swords and sandals epic, Conan the Barbarian, starring the one and only Arnold Schwarzenegger and co-starring Sandal Bergman, James Earl Jones, and Max von Sydow. What's going on, Jared? How are you doing? I'm doing great, dude. Excellent intro. How are you today? Good, man. Excited to talk about this movie. I think you may have gotten a little reticent to get to it, I feel like, when when you hit it last week. It seemed yeah. like you weren't super excited, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this one. I am, too. I mean, I really didn't have a lot of expectations, and I was a little nervous about sort of our the way we just keep hitting 16 and we keep lingering around that number. And I had, I was a little self-conscious of how quickly this movie came on the board and dropped off. I mean, that also happened fairly recently with Soho. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, Oh, it's happened a lot it, recently. Yeah. Cause we just keep kind of, we keep getting clumped up, but I also did not expect this movie to be good. Um, which is interesting. So very excited to get into it with you and kind of, kind of talk about how we felt about it. But uh, but yeah, it's just been a weird stretch of, of upper teens with the numbers, man. Well, you mentioned number 16 getting hit a lot. I actually did the math. It's five of the last 11 movies that we've covered have come from number 16. And multiples of those have been ones that have gone up and then gotten hit two weeks later. So that's it's, crazy. It's just a number that's that's kept coming up. I think Putney Swope might have been the first one that in that sequence that we hit. And then we've hit a bunch since then. Wow, and Putney, Putney Swope was an OG, so that must have been our first 16. Yeah, that's true. You know, that was like a, somewhere in between, I want to say, like our 8th or 14th episode, something like no, that. No, it was later than that. It was number 21. Oh, wow. Whoa, um, okay. But then two weeks later, we did Let the Right One In at number 16. Uh, a few weeks after that, we did Bottle Rocket there. Um, we did Modern Romance from the number 16 <laughs> position and Conan the Barbarian. Holy shit. And that's dude. all within the last 11 episodes. That that just if you really sit with that for a minute and just say 5 of the last 11 have all been 16s. I wonder if that in like playing traditional darts if 16 is like one of the numbers I first close out, you know? Cuz I guess maybe that's I your number. I, uh, maybe it is. I maybe think those is. have been lefty and righty too. Mhm. Yeah, and it's uh it's just bizarre. Uh You've but got an energetic th- connection with number 16. Maybe you need to start betting on that in, bl- in uh, roulette at the <laughs> yeah, tables. That's a good idea. I mean, I think, too, tonight, based on kind of where we're at with the board, I might actually try to aim again and, tr- and really go for a lower number. An argument could be made that's, that's somewhat against the philosophy of the show, but 
I don't know. That's part of darts too. And I I do really want to hit some of those lower numbers like we're talking about. I think I think if you're going to aim for a section, there's a section at the top left corner of the dartboard that goes uh, from nine to one. Actually, I mean, it kind of crosses over the very top portion because it's it goes nine, 12, five, 21. And all of those numbers would be ones that would be fun to hit, I feel like. Okay, because that might be the region I aim for then when we get to it. Yeah. Yeah, with that in mind, do you want to do just a run-through of what's on the board currently? Absolutely. At number one, we've got You Can Count On Me. Number two, Ex Machina. Number three, The Right Stuff. Number four, The Big Sleep. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, The Sixth Sense. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, The Fifth Element. Number nine, Days of Heaven. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Heathers. Number 12, The Straight Story. Number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Number 14, Schindler's List. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, as we've talked about, number 16, Conan the Barbarian, which we're doing tonight. Number 17, The Blair Witch Project. Project number 18, Waking Life, number 19, Face Off, and number 20, Kung Fu Hustle. Oh, yeah. Good board. Good board. And I will remind our audience, as always, if Jared hits a bullseye, we've got a friend's choice. So one of our friends is coming on the pod, and uh, we've got a few people waiting in the wings. So I'd, I'd be excited to hit that as well. Dude, I would love a bull. Maybe that's what I'll aim for, but you know it's going to lead to 16 or something. If no, I, I, I like your idea of aiming for a region. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going we're gonna to look for a hemisphere of the board and try to take it down. <laughs> Awesome. Well, last thing I'll note on the board review, the overall score right now is 18 to 13 and a half in favor of myself. Uh, It's a ball game. It's a ball game. But tonight you put one on the board. This this is your 13 and a half choice. Yeah, a 13 and a half thanks to that stupid fucking movie sling blade you know maybe your sign off needs to include a fuck you sling blade (laughs) and yeah what's dude that's going to be the replacement once we hit the mark ruffalo film which is the reason we always sign off with sorry mark uh what's the name that was is that number one you Mm -hmm. can count on me yeah 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 Kenneth so, Lonergan's you can count on me for those who might not know the reason that sign off is is because one time drew and i decided to to buck the dart and and throw again and deny the fates and we we decided after that i felt very greasy about it and i'm in the camp of never again will we will we buck the dart who knows if i, if I remember correctly that was also a situation where the reasoning for doing that was that that movie had just gone up on the board and you also weren't super excited about it it was like a combo of factors yeah, absolutely. But Mark Ruffalo is in that film, and and it's a personally apology to him. I know he's wounded. That it's know, the movie that covered. made him a star, and yeah, you should be you should be sorry, and I should be sorry as well. Yeah. So so, uh, but once we hit it, and I can stop apologizing to Mark, fuck you, Sling Blade might, might be the new <laughs> sign off. <laughs> well, let's do a little streaming check of Conan the Barbarian tonight. You uh, you have a chance to check that out for sure. So, unfortunately, it's not available, at time of recording anyway, for free with subscription anywhere. So, not like on HBO Max, not on a Netflix, yada, yada. But it's definitely something you can just pay to rent from pretty much anywhere. So, your Amazons, your Apples, you know, any place, you got to kick in a couple of bucks, check this movie out. Uh, which I was kind of surprised. I thought this would be something, because I know it's kind of a classic. I thought it would be something that at least one of the streaming services would have on lockdown. But... Uh, not right now, anyway. It's interesting. I mean, it's owned by Universal, I want to say, and Universal has Peacock. It's it's weird to me that they wouldn't put it on there. But anyway, um, we should also mention this is not 
the remake from 2011. We're talking about the Schwarzenegger 1982 version directed by John Milius, in case anyone made the mistake of accidentally watching the Jason Momoa disaster film from 2011. Does that movie suck? For By all accounts, I haven't seen it, so I, I, might, I probably shouldn't I might say watch that. It. But. I might watch it just for a, a goof, you know? Just but to see, just to see. Just to see, you know, because it's, it's, I mean, we'll get into our feelings about this movie, but, but yeah, so pay to rent. Pony up a couple of shekels. Check yeah, this movie out. It's worth it. I yeah. would say, but we'll get to that. Conan is a Jared choice. So Jared, why don't you tell us how this got on the board for you? Well, very recent addition, like we've talked about. And this is another one that comes from the editor I was working with recently. His name's Scott. I've mentioned him a couple times on the show. And we would kind of meet in the office in the mornings and just shoot the shit about movies for like a half an hour before we kind of dived in and started working. And we had a lot of similar tastes, a lot of different things too. Like he's he's obsessed with horror films. He loves horror films, and I, I'm kind of indifferent to them as a genre in general. But he brought up Conan the Barbarian, and I was like, "Is that movie good? I've never seen it." He's like, "Oh, it's awesome. He's just he's this strong character, and he's just a barbarian." Blah blah blah. Strong and, barbarian is the description. Like, it's like the like the movie is what the title like is. You know what I mean? It's like he just he just. <laughs> Bangs ladies and kills people. He sold it to you as the most literal movie of all time. Yeah, it's like it's that's kind of the pitch he gave, as I recall. And I thought, you know, that might be a really fun one for the board. Like, I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. I I didn't know a ton about this movie. I knew that it was kind of his first time on screen in in a film, his first performance, really. And I knew he didn't talk a lot in it. I had heard that. Uh, and I had heard different rumors as to the reasons why. But I didn't really know a lot about the content of the movie, other than the title is kind of somewhat obvious. But there was just not a lot I knew. So I thought, let's get it on the board. And then I found out that you also hadn't seen it. And that really locked it in for me. I was like, oh, oh, hell yeah. Let's let's do this. And again, I didn't think we were going to hit it this quick. But I'm really glad we did because I think it'll make for a fun discussion. I wanted to ask you, though, Drew, what did you know about this film going into it? Like before, because I kind of like set the stage for like, what what were our thoughts before we watched it for the first time? Yeah. Similar to you, I kind of just had a vague awareness of this movie. I mean, I knew that it was, I mean, it wasn't the movie that made Arnold Schwarzenegger a star. I mean, he had won a Golden Globe for like the best debut or like newcomer to Hollywood. I don't know what they titled the the award, but he won that in like 1976, I want to say. Um, no, so, yeah, seven, 1976 for best newcomer in Stay Hungry, uh, where he was co-starring with uh, Sally Field and Jeff Bridges. He was just like kind of a you know guest appearance type thing in that that movie. Um but he was in that, and then he was in the following year, uh, the documentary Pumping Iron, which, you know, that kind of got him international acclaim. Like, he, he you know, people all everywhere knew who Arnold Schwarzenegger was at that point. But this was his big Hollywood blockbuster debut, and it's kind of the movie that I, I knew that Schwarzenegger kind of saw this as, like, his launching point and what made him who he was and that he, he credits this as like his, his 
film school in a lot of ways. Um, so like I was aware of it in that context. And, you know, other than that, I just kind of thought it was like a schlocky eighties movie, kind of similar to like a Highlander or like, um, I don't know. It was just like, I, I, I saw it maybe being just like a B movie. Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways it is that, but, uh, I don't know. We'll get, we'll get to overall yeah. thoughts, but yeah, that was kind of my only reference point. The other thing is for some reason I had in my head that he didn't speak any lines of dialogue in this movie. And that was part of its claim to fame, but mm-hmm. it's not that, but I mean, it is, it's definitely what you said, which is just like very restrained, you know, in terms of the amount of dialogue they gave him. Like we're saying, you and I were both aware that this was Arnold Schwarzenegger's debut. Mm-hmm. Because of that, I had an expectation that the production value in this film would not be much. You know, it's a pretty big risk. You have this guy who's a famous bodybuilder and you're throwing yeah. him in a movie. So therefore, I thought, and and like you, I kind of thought it was going to be cheesy and schlocky. Um, I was even almost thinking like borderline grindhousey. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like like low quality, like kind of shitty, and it'll just be fun to see Arnold for the first time on screen sort of thing. My first reaction kind of going into this movie, I was blown away by the spectacle of it and how, how epic it was. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was one of the most mind-blowing things about it, considering that it was an unknown with Schwarzenegger. Like, it is a huge financial gamble. Yeah. And it just must have been coked out Hollywood execs who were like, let's throw that bodybuilder in a movie and just throw heaps of cash well, and talent at it. Yeah. And the next biggest name in the movie is Max von Sydow. And like, mm-hmm. he was like an art house actor at that point, mm-hmm. you know, like, and he, and he was like, you know, that's, that's the, and then James Earl Jones is, you know, the, the also among the, the more famous, but like the other main co-stars are complete unknowns basically. Yeah, it's just, it, it. I just didn't see it working this well. And then when we get into the movie, I really fucking liked it a lot. Yeah. I was like, well, this let's movie, talk overall thoughts. I completely agree. This movie yeah, was, was like, fucking fun as shit. I love this, this movie is great. And it's just, again, I was so wowed by the scale of everything, and the spectacle, and the action, and and the and the the violence and just the nudity is just such an eighties big movie. And it was like really well shot, had a pretty good score. I had some issues with that. We can discuss later. And it was just so much fun. Mm-hmm. I did not know it was going to have so much fantasy in it. I thought it was more kind of like a, sort of just like a sloggish, like this is a guy who wields a sword sort of thing. I was thinking Hercules or, yeah. or, or Xena or something. Yeah. And I did, I didn't know there was going to be so much magic in it and, and, and all of these sort of uh, elements to it. And I really dug all that stuff. It just added to the fun of the movie. And so, yeah, I, I really, really liked it. I think it was a really good one for us to hit and I mean, we'll get more into it, but I overall thought it was awesome and uh, really glad I saw it. What, what, no. what did you think? You mentioned you loved it too. What were your kind of thoughts of kind of an overall perspective? I, I had a blast with this movie. So I love Swords and Sandals epics like Gladiator, even Troy, a more recent one. I, I don't know. Just like I, I love these large scale actioners with over the top violence, you know, brave hearts of the world. Like mm-hmm. 
it, it's it's the most maximalist filmmaking to me. You know, people talk about maximalism with regards to these big, huge scale CGI movies with you know tons of like spaceships and lasers and explosions and blah blah blah. Like that's fine. Like that is maximalist too. Don't get me wrong. Like like Aquaman is a perfect example. That movie is fucking insane, but it doesn't connect with me the same way as something that's much more tangible and real with these massive sets and and large-scale miniatures i mean lord of the rings is is the same kind of thing as what i'm talking about too i mean mm-hmm. that takes a lot from this genre as well i just something about that is it just sweeps me off my feet and just makes me love what i'm watching and i immediately had that reaction with this movie like you know, the the opening dialogue scene between the kid and his dad, uh, you know, young Conan and his dad is, is, is fine. But as soon as they got to the whole sequence in the village, like the village raid with, with James, L. Uh, James Earl Jones's uh, squad, uh, you know, lighting uh, Conan's village of uh, a fire, that whole sequence, I was just like, I am so in on this. Like just a big set, with horses and spears and arrows and like I was just like fire Fuck yes. and just yeah like carnage. the northman last year gave me this same feeling like it's it's like just where you're just like I know that I shouldn't be enjoying violence this much but it's just like when it's done this way it is so engaging yeah and it's just it's such a big movie and when you were talking about swords and sandals epics and stuff it's just fun to see how big movies can be and how like this art form can be expanded to the point of like seeing something so massive on screen. I think that's one of the things that draws me to it, to the genre in general. And I'll just echo too. You said the Northman, I was getting tons of Northman vibes through this movie and Mm -hmm. I caught myself early on in the viewing thinking like, why don't they make a movie like this anymore? That's just like cool and, fun and and weird and then i was like oh the northman they just made a movie kind of like this you know maybe a little more elevated to some degree but but at a similar budget and doing the same kind of shit and i I don't know i just like i i love this kind of shit and i got immediately wrapped up in it i love how the opening of this movie is essentially a silent film you know yes it's yes. just it's just the ambient noise of the battle and and music and none no dialogue among the characters at all but it, it communicates everything about the origin of this character that the movie needs to within that whole sequence it's phenomenal shit it's an incredibly visual movie dude the just the way that they film uh and we'll we'll talk about John Milius in in a bit i want to like get into his backstory cuz he's a fascinating dude but um the way that they shoot his mother's beheading, like was, mm-hmm. it blew me away. I was like, this is like, this is artful shit. Yeah. It's a really impactful scene. And the fact that the kid is holding her mother, his mother's hand drifts away and, and yeah. it slips out of his hand is oh, like, Oh so shit, good. that's really emotional. And James Earl Jones with that really strange look. Like, I mean, I saw the his costume name. design, dude, the costume design is incredible. And in the, in the opening sequence, I saw James Earl Jones flash on the screen. And I was like, oh, nice. I mean, who doesn't love James Earl Jones? I was excited. And when he first approaches the camera and is staring straight in it, I didn't recognize him at first. I was like, is that 
is that James Earl Jones? Who is that? And it's like, it is him with those kind of weird blue eyes and that mm-hmm. moment where I really did not know whether or not he was going to like let her live or like take her as a slave or I wasn't sure what was going to happen there. So I was genuinely surprised by the beheading. No, and it's and it, it what you're saying is reinforced by the fact that the actor that they cast as his mother is so striking looking that she yes. just like she she has this look to her that you're like, oh, we're gonna get this character the rest of the movie. Even yeah. in the five, you know, seconds that you get of her basically before she's dead. Mm-hmm. I love when a movie has this bit part that has no dialogue. I love when a casting like that sticks out that way where you're just like whoa like th- yeah. whatever this person's energy is like they are like uh, like it, it just I don't, I don't know it connects you to that character oh, yeah. and it's like it, it amazes me when you can cast someone like that and have it work so effectively yeah and I mean her jawline everything about her is striking like you're saying but I was just like I've never seen a human being that looks like that and I think the movie like even even people in the fiction of the film, like people in part of that kind of the early days of the snake cult that are doing this uh, village raid, like none of them to me seemed happy about having to kill this person. You know what I mean? Like they all seem kind of like saddened because I think it's like the person is just so striking. Like, you know, it's not like anyone was like, yeah, <laughs> or like laughing or doing like sort of traditional villainous stuff. It was this very kind of somber moment uh, and it almost seemed like James Earl Jones had this sort of sense of duty that he had to do it, but he was not excited about it. But, but yeah, she was really, really stood out. And I think, like you're saying, part of me thinking that she was going to be in the movie moving forward is like, well, they can't just throw this person away. They're they're amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the other amazing thing about that opening sequence is the way that it so seamlessly transitions into his adulthood. The way that they do the thing where he goes to the, what what do they call it? The wheel of pain. Yeah. The Um, wheel of pain where, you know, it transitions from the young child Conan to Arnold Schwarzenegger in cuts between him pushing this wheel Mm -hmm. and it's done like, you know, they don't show you Arnie's face at first. They're showing you his legs and from behind his head. And it's just like, dude, it's it's just, it's such good work. And it's, it's like, fuck, it works so effectively. Yeah, I was like, I did not think this movie had any business being this good. Just a really, really cool movie. It's really fucking fun. Um, but I yeah, I just, I think the opening you know, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it is until, until he's at that point is just, it, it might even be less than that, it, but it feels like you're with that for a while. And it just, it's, it's incredible, but we've gotten to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Let's talk about fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh yeah, we got it. What is your background with him? And what do you bring into the table when you watch this movie? My favorite action star of all time is Jackie Chan. I, I adore him right behind him. And in second place, very close, is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Always loved him. Predator is my, my all-time favorite action film. You and I earlier were talking actually about True Lies. True Lies, is he's incredible in that. That's a great action movie, too. He's great in Terminator. And I was always more, you know, the camp tends to be Stallone or Schwarzenegger in terms of, like, 
action stars from that time and who people like. Well, in terms me, of was, that era, for sure. Yeah, that era, exactly. And to me, it's always been Schwarzenegger. And we haven't had a ton of people... Well, there's been nobody like him. But I feel like that sort of action star, to some degree, has fallen out of favor. You mentioned Jason Momoa in the remake. I guess that's an example of of someone larger. Maybe The Rock, too, actually. Yeah, there's a couple, now that I'm, now that I'm thinking about it. But there's been no Chris one Hemsworth like Schwarzenegger. Chris Hemsworth is jacked as fuck. Oh, that's true. He's, yeah, he's stacked. But... Uh, but I am a huge Schwarzenegger fan, and I even liked his comedies. You know, I, I really liked Jingle All the Way when I was a kid. Uh, I, I loved <laughs> I love his that range. That's the first one you go to. <laughs> well, because the other one where he did you ever part, see the, Twins when you were a kid? Is that the he gets pregnant? Is that no, the one? no? You're thinking Junior. Okay, Junior. Yeah, I think I don't that's know if I've seen weird Twins. As fuck one. That's interesting. That those are the ones you go to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I might put Twins on the board someday. Him and Danny yeah, DeVito. So, yeah, Danny. De- yeah, I mean, who doesn't like Danny DeVito? But so yeah, I love him. I think he's a great movie star. You know, nothing special from an acting level, but just awesome. Just the most awesome person, and big, big fan. And was so happy to love this movie as much as I did. Um, what's your position on Schwarzenegger? How do you feel about him? I uh, I mean, we grew up at the same time. You know, Schwarzenegger, when we were growing up, was kind of at the tail end of his his action run. In terms of you know, I think I think kind of like this is the beginning of the run, and and maybe like the Eraser is kind of like the end of the run potentially, yeah. like ninety seven, ninety eight, something like that, or the, the sixth, sixth day, day. Yeah, yeah, something the like sixth that. Day maybe that that era is where he's kind of like ah okay, and and that's when you and I were like nine or ten years old, which is you know prime age to start getting super into action movies. So I kind of saw Schwarzenegger when I was a kid as like a lesser action star in a weird way because he was on his way out. Mm-hmm. When I got to my teenage years, you know, I, I got to see Terminator 2 and I got to see um, True Lies. And, you know, like you're saying, like those movies, I was like, oh, okay, I, I get it. And I was in on that. But I think like until I was, I, I didn't see Predator until just a few years ago in its wow. in its entirety. Like I saw like bits and pieces on Spike TV and whatnot, but, mm-hmm. um, Dude, but yeah. That was one that was always on Spike TV. Always. They just had that, it's, yeah, yeah. The entire Shane Black filmography was on <laughs> fucking Spike TV yeah. on repeat. But uh, I love that movie now, now that I've mm-hmm. seen it and can really appreciate it fully. Yeah, he was just a guy that was, uh, you know, he grew on me as I got older. And I've grown such an appreciation for stuff like Commando and like Total Recall and and these, Mm -hmm. you know. Oh, my God. How did I forget Total Recall? I adore that movie, too. Incredible. Mm -hmm. And and I just, I love, I think what I've grown in appreciation for is the energy that, that he brings to these movies. There's such a fun just like happy to be here kind of energy that he brings to his films. And I think he, he's one of those guys who, as much as I hate the American dream idea of just like, you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and have success no matter what. It's not true. It's bullshit. But Arnie is one of these examples of guys who literally did just like, he was just like, no, I'm going to be the best at everything I do. And I have so much appreciation for that. And, and, you know, when I was doing research on this movie and, and him in this movie 
first of all, watching it, you get just that loving energy of just like, fuck, like he is so happy to be doing this. He looks like he's having so much fun. And he really commits to this stuff. Like think of all the sword training he had to put in. It's a very physical role. Like it's demanding. It's in some situations in difficult conditions, he's risking injury. And he seems to really embrace these challenges and these issues. And like you're saying, he seems like he's having a great time. Yeah. And he's gonna he's like really gonna try to make the most of this opportunity. And that all kind of comes across. It is really like a, a crazy life, actually. Like Bill Burr has had a bit about this. I'm not gonna recite it, but if you think about like he's an immigrant coming to America with the dream of becoming a bodybuilder and a movie star, and he does it. It's like the craziest shit you've ever 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 heard of. But what I really appreciate about Arnie and how he did it, like you're saying, like he did it by understanding hit what he didn't understand. So like a perfect example is when they were making this movie, I read that he really latched on to James L, James Earl Jones and Max von Sydow and tried to learn from them. He he traded acting lessons for uh for personal training with james l james i keep saying james l i'm just, it's because of james l brooks recently i know I think. it fucks me yeah, up it's fucking you up <laughs> but james earl jones was coaching him on like his dialogue and, and like his delivery and schwarzenegger on the side was helping james earl jones stay in shape which is fucking awesome <laughs> like it's so just like, cool he, he knows that he's not a great actor but he wants to be one and he goes out and does that he's like you know like so many people fucking flap their gums about like you know all these fucking like elon musks of the world and shit like oh i'm a self-made billionaire bullshit you were not a self-made billionaire your dad made a fuckload of money that financed all of your early ventures you asshole you did not get here by being just a go-getter like yes you might have had that attribute that made you a little bit more apt to get to where you are but that doesn't make you successful yeah, you know, I mean, like, I, I I think people like that can deserve a certain type of praise. Like, it's still difficult, I'm sure, to pull that shit I, off. But I agree. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger is self-made. He's dude, the guy. He is <laughs> legitimately self-made. Yeah, he came here off the boat. Like anybody who comes here not speaking super great English, and 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 really pulls something off and comes from nothing, that's exciting. Well, that's dude, the and coolest look at the American guy. Dream. Like, he should just be the heavy in Bond movie. He should just be the jaws of a Bond movie or like, you know, like he's the henchman in it, when yeah. you look at him in body type and the, you know, he's got this thick Austrian accent. He has no business being the, the lead of a movie like fucking Jingle All the Way, as you brought up before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. he can he can do that because he he cares that much and he brings that much love and, and passion to what he does. And I just, mm -hmm. I appreciate that so much. And like this movie is a perfect example of that. Yeah. It is on full display. And just to think too, of the, the hilarious image and idea of the whole James Earl Jones and Arnold Schwarzenegger trading tips. It's like, they're both the best at what they do of these categories. And yeah. they're like giving advice to each other. Like I can't think off the top of my head, there are other great ones, but James Earl Jones is one of the most gifted orators and speakers of any generation. Like I mean, Max von Sydow too. Like, talk about just an incredible voice and and the yeah. way that he conveys his his lines. Like, he brings mm -hmm. a Shakespearean quality. Both of them do. Oh um, yeah, I mean, I got just James Earl Jones. I mean, he, like obviously people praise his the sound of his voice, and that's 
fully deserved and it is amazing. But it it his the way he rolls words and states them so clearly and it's just he is one of the greatest deliverers of dialogue I have ever seen. And it was so cool seeing him in this fucking movie. No, he he was great. I mean, we can talk about him. I mean, I so this is this movie is coming out five years after Star Wars. And have you ever heard what his like salary negotiations were in Star Wars? No, I haven't. I have not heard it's that. a fun story. So he was late to the to the production, basically, like because they they had cast David Prowse, who was a, a British actor who was super tall and could fill out that that Darth Vader suit. Um, they cast him initially as Darth Vader, and he's delivering his lines. And there's videos of this on YouTube that you can watch of like what his voice sounds like giving those lines of dialogue, <laughs> and it's it's comical. Like he he <laughs> like it sounds ridiculous. Um, voice like whiny or something yeah it's just kind of high-pitched and it's it's got this british lilt to it (laughs) and it's just like it's very like it doesn't convey menace in any way and so lucas goes out and and reaches out to james earl jones who at the time was like a big broadway uh, actor but he had i guess he had he must have been on the outs or something for a few years i don't know if he had he dealt with any substance things or anything but 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 he was in a bad way in terms of uh, money. Actually, you know what? I, it might have been gambling debts or something. I don't know what it was, but he was hurting for money at, at this point in New York. And Lucas reaches out to him to do the voice for this. And he's like, I have no money left in my budget. Like, all I can offer you is like, I don't know, I think it was like maybe $80,000 or something like that. Um, so I can either give you that up front. It, actually, I think it was even less. It was like a minuscule amount of money. But he was like, I can offer you this up front or I can give you like 5% of the back end or something oh, like that. Oh, please tell me he took the back end. No, he took oh. the short end. And, <laughs> and that, the story is, you know, I, I guess he must have been made whole like with all the different likeness stuff and whatnot, whatnot later. But yeah, like, yeah. Uh, But yeah, like he made no money for the original Star Wars. Mm. Um, that's heartbreaking (laughs) but that was five years before this movie and i mean like you know he didn't have a a ton in between this and and then but but the guy is just like a legend on broadway he has this just booming incredible voice and he's given one of my all-time favorite performances which is uh, in field of dreams have you seen field of dreams I have not. That is a shamer that I'm thinking about putting on the board someday. He is so goddamn good in Field of Dreams. It mm. is outstanding. Yeah, it's one of my all-time favorite uh, performances. I don't. I, that movie is is very good. I don't consider it like a great film, maybe overall, but I do really love it. It's nostalgic for me. Let's talk about what how he looks in this movie. Because I think you alluded to it earlier. He looks very, very strange. He's got this straight black hair, these blue eyes, this kind of pale skin. He looks yeah. very, very bizarre. Yeah. No, it's it's an incredible look. I mean, I mentioned before that the costume design in this movie is incredible, and he's no exception to that. I will say the wig work in this movie leaves something to be desired. <laughs> yeah, that... Did not look like his natural hair at all. It looked the way it just kind of fell down. Kind of reminded me of how Dave Chappelle looks in the True Hollywood Story sketch. Oh, about Rick James? Yeah, about Rick James. Like he's got that hair. Kind of looked a little bit like that. 
But I did hear a cool behind this scene snippet that the director mentioned. He wanted that character James Earl Jones plays to look like a race that didn't exist anymore. And he was like the last of his kind. Mm. And that was kind of the idea of developing that look. And I think he really pulled it off because when we see it, kind of like it's so bizarre. And I just rolled with it because it's we get more introduced to the fantasy elements and it's fine. But when I heard the reasoning, I was like, oh, I see it now. And they if that was the intention, they pulled it off. I didn't pick up on it in the film. I needed to hear that snippet. But well, I mean, yeah, he's definitely like made up to look unique for sure in the film it's really interesting but i did think i i did really really i mean despite them maybe intending him to look like a different race i don't know uh i really appreciated that this movie is an early incarnation of bringing some color into fantasy and it's interesting that it like we're watching this now and lord of the rings the rings of power is coming out and all these fucking assholes online are are harassing the the people of color in in that that show because like in their minds no dwarves or you know elves should be black or or brown in any way and it's just like what the fuck like who cares yeah. it's a yeah. fucking fantasy world who let it cares? can be whatever you want it to be and things can change it's just like it's fine it it's just fine. it bothers me so much so i really like loved i was like when he pulled that helmet off i was like that's fucking cool. Like we got like a black guy being like the main bad guy in this. Yeah. Main fantasy villain. It's awesome. As we get introduced to his character more, we could just kind of talk about some of that. He's so twisted and strange and hypnotic. And we find out he's this cult leader sorcerer. The scene where he got the woman to jump off and like to her death. It reminded me of like midsummer. I feel like our master probably watched this movie and got inspiration. So creepy and so perfectly delivered by James O. Jones. But let's give a shout out to that fucking stunt. That's one of the best stunts I've ever seen. It's incredible. Like, that woman, uh, unless they really fooled me, does not appear to be on wires or suspension no. of any kind. It looks like a complete. No, she's free going fall. through those boards into a like crash pad or something. or something. But yeah, yeah, which it's just still even with all those safety protocols in place, she's hitting a small target. It looks like very small target, and through you know break you know movie wood, which is designed obviously to be broken, but still. I was, I was, I like gasped when I saw it and I, I thought they were going to cut today. away before she got to the bottom or something, but they show all the way through, which they is really them, cool. Have, oh, so, so cool. And so that was amazing. And how about the scene where he turns the snake into an arrow and like straightens yes. it out? Arrow that snake. Was, <laughs> arrow snake. I was like, that is just so cool. Like, I was like, this is, I thought I was going to be like, tongue-in-cheek enjoying this movie but there was so much shit in it i was like no that's just awesome and turning that arrow snake in was like whoa outstanding but i mean we should mention at this point i mean conan the barbarian is based on a character that was created for a 1930s serial basically and um so it's a lore it's a lore that's been built out I, i think marvel comics owns the the rights to it at this point but um they and and marvel has done some reissues of of old stories and you know with the new illustrations and stuff so you know the lore definitely exists 
Um, I wonder how much, I wonder if like the arrow snake is part of that lore or not. If it's an invention for this movie, it's fucking batshit uh, and I love it. so cool when he's just like, seek. And he like does it. Like I first thought it was, gonna, it was like going to track. You know, I thought he was going to like follow or something, but it's just, I was like, that is just, I've never seen that in a movie. And like you said, if that was invented for the film, super smart and really, really cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, let's continue on with the cast. I mean, I, we should mention uh, Sandal Bergman. I, I think that's how you pronounce it. But <laughs> she, I was enraptured with her in this movie. I thought she mm-hmm. was outstanding. She is such a striking presence. Mm-hmm. Absolutely gorgeous person. But just like the way she moves and just like her energy. I don't know. I, I was like all about it. And I was like, I why am I connecting with this person? I can't figure out why. And then I looked, and she's the main dancer from one of the best sequences of all that jazz. And I remember distinctly watching that and just being like, holy shit, who is this dancer? She's incredible. And and to see her again in this just completely randomly blew my mind. But apparently, Bob Fosse recommended her for this part to John Milius, the director. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw an interview with Milius, and he mentioned... He saw her in all that jazz as the lead dancer of that arrow erotic scene or whatever it's called. Yeah, arrow erotic. And he just he just said to himself, "That's a Valkyrie," and that's why he wanted to cast her in it too. So it's like it's amazing, great casting choice. She is completely magnetic, like you know, so sexy, really cool, powerful, badass character, brave, courageous, and awesome. Just a really, really cool performance and from this person who's like probably more of like a dancer i would think i can't imagine she was like a well that was her main profession yeah yeah and so she gets slung into this action film where she has to deal with swords and and all this sort of very when she's doing all of her own stunts as well uh by all accounts like her and schwarzenegger and jerry lopez who plays subotai like all three of them were doing all their own stunts in this Mm -hmm. movie yeah. And yeah, because you never really saw a lot of like camera tricks in terms of like, oh, clearly they swapped in a stunt person. It's like they were always on screen and you could tell it was them mm-hmm. like fighting with these swords, rolling around, doing all this shit. Um, and again, you know, you touched on it with talking about the tangibility of a lot of these older swords and sandals epics like that shit all adds up and it matters. Like when you can tell that it's Arnold Schwarzenegger doing that. You know, when you can tell that it's Sandra Bergman or whoever, like it, it, it just adds a lot to it. It really yeah. does. Yeah. Not doing CGI models, you know, jumping and flipping and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when she defends Schwarzenegger from the spirits mm-hmm. as they're like trying to, you know, it's after he's been crucified, he gets saved at the last second. He's on death's door. She's great in that scene. But I wanted to mention too, how cool the spirits looked. I was just going to say the same thing. I wrote down in my notes because I was like, I love these like early lo-fi like, you know, kind of effects work. I I think it's like, they're like a watercolor design. It's it's so cool. I was like, that just looks great. And it stands, it stands up and thinking like, did they have an artist paint on the film? Like, how did they do this in 82? However they did it, it looks really, really cool. Well, I mean, in going to the effects work kind of conversation, I, in terms of the scale, I, 
I was blown away by the sets and the like mm-hmm. the the cities like I couldn't tell where the line between like live action set miniature matte painting whatever they're doing with those those big vistas and stuff I don't I, I mean I think some of them are just massive sets like the steps of that temple are yeah just that was in- a set incredible set they built um, that set man that's crazy it's so fucking cool and like yeah. that's what we miss with all this like you know shooting on the volume stuff that mm-hmm. the people do these days for sure and i thought i was really stunned when they first approached that first major city and we see like the walls outside and i'm staring at that i'm just like is that a set well so a apparently apparently some of those walls were uh, actual ancient walls from in in spain because they shot this movie in spain so there are some like castles and stuff but it is interesting to me that it's like out in the desert and shit like that Mm -hmm. it looks so cool i had such a fun time trying to think of where this movie was filmed i was just thinking sitting there it's like it's not colorado like it's (laughs) not it's like i'm trying to think there's snow there's mountains are we in switzerland but there's desert like i i it was a really fun like self trivia mm-hmm. and then i saw that in the some of the bonus features it was spain i was like wow they did it was kind of fun that they didn't they didn't really say specifically where we were at any point in this movie it was just kind of the sort of obscure somewhat european fantasy world but they didn't feel the need to get specific it was european but it was also clearly influenced by eastern stuff too mm-hmm. like i saw some like mongolian kind of looks you know kind yeah. of genghis khani type type outfitting um, China, some Chinese culture and it's definitely like, like a samurai sword yeah, Japanese so I, but like a samurai sword shows up maybe like yeah I, I don't know it was just it, it was really really interesting um, and like the you know there was like absolutely some Viking and Norse kind of stuff going on as well I just I, I, I was I was really into all the design work of this movie yeah dude I was too and that's what I thought that the outer walls was a castle in that situation, like a real, not a set. But when they get into the street and that the street is bustling and stuff like that, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a set. And mm-hmm. the way they captured the chaos of an ancient bustling city was really cool. There's one shot of just like 30 or 50 pigs just like squabbling on a stair step. And I'm just like that. That must have taken so much work to hold, to herd all these pigs into this scene for a shot that's that's in the film for two seconds, but it helps convey the scope of the city and this place and the energy that resides within the walls. And so, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't paying for it, but it does it definitely adds stuff. Yeah. No, I mean all the scenes of the temple with all the white garbed acolytes and and whatnot like i i just i love all the scale of this movie is just so fucking cool but anyway i did want to also mention max von sidow before we got off of the actors conversation because uh sidow is i mean i'm a massive fan of the exorcist um i you know i just think he's a guy he's like instant legitimacy when you put him in your movie he's like a guy that just immediately like you can put him in one scene as as evidenced by The Force Awakens and he elevates a movie. Like he made people think The Force Awakens was a good movie because the first five minutes kind of kick off really cool with him just being a, a really wise old man in this little, you know, village in the desert. Um, 
I don't know. He's just, he's one of those guys. And he, in this movie, he just has one scene as this King Osric. He delivers his monologue. He, you know, just conveys all the gravitas and instantly legitimizes the movie even more to me. Yeah. It was such a fun balance of great actors. So you get people like Max von Sydow, James Earl Jones, like acting titans, mixed with first-time films, non-actors, someone who's more known for dancing, and it all works. Like You wouldn't think to bring all those ingredients together would be successful at all, and it really really does. And you're right, the ones who are really the legit actors and the titans of that, they just really help elevate the film and and bring it, it, they just dial it up. They make it seem like a real movie. They really do. I think that's a perfect place maybe to jump in and talk about John Milius, the filmmaker, because he's the one bringing all of these elements together. And um, he's a really fucking fascinating guy. Actually, maybe it makes more sense. I We should probably just talk about the gestation of this because Milius joined this a little bit later. It started with... Uh, Oliver Stone actually writing the original script. And this is pre-Platoon Oliver Stone. So Oliver Stone is coming off of winning an Oscar for Midnight Express for Best Original Screenplay. And he's this young, you know, kind of wonderkind writer. And they brought him on onto this project uh, to kind of like legitimize the project as, as like a big potential thing. Apparently, Stone wrote a script that was actually set in the dystopian post-apocalyptic future, not, not in this kind of, you know, forgotten past as it, as this movie is that was done away with when John Milius came onto the project. Now, John Milius, are you familiar with him as a filmmaker at all? No, I am not. He is kind of part of the movie brat generation, which is like your George Lucas, Coppola, Spielberg, Scorsese, De Palma, like that, that core group of young filmmakers that came out of like USC film school and, and stuff like that. Um, so Milius was one of the guys who went to USC film school. He was good friends with George Lucas in school. Um, also good friends with uh, Basil Paladoris, the, the composer of this film. And he went there, made a bunch of short films and kind of immediately get, got writing work out of, out of school. Um, the first big one that he he got known for was writing Jeremiah Johnson, the Robert Redford, Sidney mm-hmm. Pollock movie. Mm-hmm. And he's just he's just one of these kind of like weird ass boomers who just has this like, you, you know, from that generation, just these these guys who have this fascination with war and devastation and just like he's just in, a really fascinating guy. He's also got this Zen side to him. He says like surfing is his religion and like he's, he is really fascinated with like Eastern religions and like, um, yeah, he's just, he's one of these guys. But anyway, he, he, part of his origin story is that he was, uh, denied entry into the Marines for Vietnam and it always like, like devastated him in some way he he had asthma and so he couldn't go and he always felt like he missed out on his war is what he said wow Uh, (laughs) very different generation (laughs) i think of that scene and i want to say the pacific have you seen that that hbo miniseries sure where uh the guy who's in jurassic park is tim the kid yeah actor joseph mazzello joseph joseph mazzello his character uh fails his physical Mm mm-hmm and the doctor leaves the room and he just like weeps. And it's just a great 
look at the difference of generations and like how things can change like you know and especially too to dial it into something like the Vietnam War which is obviously an extremely controversial moment within the nation like that was not a war that had a ton of people proud to fight on its behalf but he just I guess had this desire to want to serve his nation and, and go into combat and go to war yeah, I mean, to be honest, he he seems like he has a lot of toxic masculinity traits to him, which is interesting. <laughs> but, you know, he's just he's a fascinating guy. He like he channeled that energy into writing the original script for Apocalypse Now. Um, so that's his biggest claim to fame is writing writing that. And that movie was kicking around for a long time. Originally, Apocalypse Now was written in like the early 70s by Milius uh, with the intention of George Lucas directing that. And that was going to be his follow up to THX 1138. Um, and instead, he went on to make American Graffiti and then Star Wars. So it, you know, went on a very different out. path. But Thank God, dude. Could you imagine anyone else but Coppola directing Apocalypse Now? Well, no, but I mean, what's interesting is like Milius like apparently hates the way that uh, Coppola tore his script apart and made it his own. Um, mm. He literally, this is a quote from him that I thought was interesting. This is from the Wikipedia, so who knows? But uh, he says, quote, he sees, this is uh, Milius talking about Coppola. He sees himself as a great humanitarian, an enlightened soul who will teach you wonderful things as he does at the end of Godfather 2. That crime doesn't pay. Talent-wise, he's no John Ford. Character-wise, he's no Steven Spielberg. Francis can't stand to have any other creative influence around. Francis Coppola has this compelling desire to save humanity when the man is a raving fascist, the Bay Area Mussolini. (laughs) (laughs) Bay Area Mussolini. Just savage, which I mean, yeah. Coppola at the time was a fucking coked out maniac, so it doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't surprise me. But and maybe um, they patched it up since then. But I also found this quote from Spielberg on Milius that was interesting because uh, he he has a lot of affection for Milius. He, uh, so Spielberg said, "John is our scoutmaster. He's the one who will tell you to go on a trip and only take enough food, enough water for one day, and then make you stay out longer than that. He's the one who says, "Be a man. Don't I don't want to see any tears. He's a terrific raconteur, a wonderful storyteller. John has more life than the rest of us put together." So he's just like, he's one of these guys, you know, he's just, he's got just this weird energy to him that, uh, you know, I'm sure he was a leader in a lot of ways. And I, you know, I think he was probably in some ways uniquely suited to, to deliver this kind of movie with Schwarzenegger at the helm. Cause like, imagine like a guy who doesn't have that kind of energy trying to, to muster a performance out of this bodybuilder, you know? Yeah. It probably just wouldn't work. You need to have, I mean, all directors need to be great leaders for sure. But yeah, I guess it takes a specific type to try to corral Schwarzenegger and get his performance to the right place for someone who's doing it for the first time, meaning Schwarzenegger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But this was uh, Milius' third film. Uh, After this, he made Red Dawn, which uh, was the first PG-13 movie ever, actually. Cool. Um, I've never seen that film, by the way. You know, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's good. It's not like... I mean, good is probably even generous. Like, it's not yeah. a great movie, but it's it's a fun movie. The last big thing he did was he was the creator of the TV series Rome, speaking of Swords and Sandals epics, mm. uh, the HBO series. Uh, and yeah, that's that show was famous for being by far the biggest budget ever given to a TV show at the time. I've never seen it. 
I wonder if I'll check that out soon. You know, it's a show I've tried to watch it a number of times, and honestly, it's more of a relic of that time in the sense of like, it was crazy then to see a show on that scale, but now that scale has been dwarfed 10 times over by the shows being made today that it kind of feels quaint. And like the story is, you know, the storytelling is just not all that great. So it's not like there's not a lot to hang on to other than the spectacle, you know? So like, I don't know, it'd be worth like checking out to see if you're into it, but I, I could never get into that show. Now I know that, um, there are at least two sequels of Conan that Schwarzenegger is in. Yes. Did Milius direct either of those? No. Okay. I saw a snippet of a Oliver Stone talking about Conan and stuff, and I guess he had a feeling that the producers kind of fucked this up. In his mind, he thought it was going to be there were going to be like twelve movies. He saw it more of almost like a James Bond type thing, where like every couple of years, Schwarzenegger would come back and do a Conan. And he he envisioned this much larger story of where this film ends with him becoming king. And and they like they're like, oh, but it was a long journey before that. Like he thought it would be this kind of cool, like 12 movie arc of just like the life of Conan that would just like take its time to get to that resolution. And I was like, that would be cool. And after being introduced to this world, I really like it. And I am intrigued about kind of checking out more of the mythos of the Conan universe. Sure. It's it's check out the comic books, man. Maybe that's your bag. I might. I've I've never been a big fan of graphic novels. Um and I can't imagine that'll change now. But I definitely could see doing like a if there's a wiki fan page, I'd 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 fart around that for forty five <laughs> minutes. You know what I mean? Well, in terms of like the, the longevity of the the property, Schwarzenegger was contracted for four movies when when he signed up for this one and they as you said they only ended up making three and I, and the third one i i want to say he's like a, a side character almost because the third mm. one is red sonia which is and maybe this is just his character gets a different name later but his character in that movie is calador he's not even playing conan it doesn't seem like mm. uh, but it's brigitte nielsen is is red sonia and that's kind of the the third in this this series here but yeah, Conan the Destroyer comes out in 84, but the same year he has the Terminator. And I think that kind of spurred him on a different path, which was like, let me explore all the different ways I can use my presence, you know? Yeah. Like, let's let's kind of branch out and do some other stuff. And I mean, he has Commando the year after that, Raw Deal the year after that. And those are kind of just more traditional, just schlocky action movies. But Predator in 87, I think, is just what locked him in. Is just like, this guy's just pure action star. Just go this way. I asked uh, some of my buddies the other day, would you rather? It's like, you just wake up one day and your penis is just vanished. <laughs> or like every time you speak, you sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger yelling in an action movie. <laughs> like when he's like, especially in those like fighting pits early on, like when he's oh, yeah. kind of still enslaved, that was vintage Arnold Schwarzenegger garble noise. <laughs> like it's, like, it's, it's so funny, but it's part of the reason I honestly love him. Like it's mm-hmm. easy to poke, poke fun of, but like he's just such a fun movie star. He really is. No, he's he's great. I kind of wanted to, if you're down to do this, hit 
just some of our favorite, more ridiculous and over the top moments in the sure. film. Like we mentioned some like the snake arrow and things like that, but there's some more I wanted to get to of just like, that is absurd. And I fucking love it. Well, um, I want to let, if I can lead off real quick, please, Speaking please snakes, do. Yeah. The giant snake battle is fucking fun. Unbelievably fun. So dude. great. Um, <laughs> but what I wanted to mention since we just got to talking about John Milius, apparently John Milius was the best archer in the crew. <laughs> and he literally shot those arrows into the puppet above Schwarzenegger's head. Like that's, those are real arrows. That's not a special effect. That's insane. And speaks to what you're saying about his sort of warlike interests and stuff. And, and just like that, that's something that would not be done today. No. For a, for a million reasons, it would not be done. Today. He also, apparently also the dogs that are chasing Schwarzenegger early in the movie those were actually like vicious ass fucking dogs that <laughs> yeah. attacked their trainer. <laughs> Ridiculous. This film has just got quite a fucking mythology behind it. But yeah, that snake fight is so much fun. And when he goes and like creeps up to that gem. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's a big fucking snake. But then it starts moving and I'm like, oh man, it's like a monster snake. It's like huge. And that is, I think, going to be my choice potentially for top brute. All right, we got to do top brutes then. We, we brought it up. Brute, you right? you sent have. us right into top brutes. I've got my top brute. So that I think I'm trying to think of other contender. Oh man, the person leaping. We mentioned the stunt. That's the a leaping? pretty brutal. That's the brute. leaping is that's brute. I will also nominate in the fight scene where they're made up in the white and black stripes and they're, you know, mm -hmm. hacking people in the the orgy, <laughs> the cannibal orgy or whatever the fuck they're doing. Yeah, um, at one point, Schwarzenegger stabs a guy, bends him over and slices his head off in one yeah. in one take. And it's fucking gnarly. This movie is so. So that's violent. a nominated one. Yeah, that's but, a great brute. But that's I've got my number candy. one. Do you have your number one? Is your number one the snake? My number one is the snake because the snake gets chopped through like the like stabbed through the roof of the mouth from below, shot like three times with arrows in the face, and then like it's hacked off at the neck. It was just so so crazy and over the top. And I do remember the other one you mentioned, yeah. uh, the guy getting beheaded. That that was when I was like made a no uh, oh you know like one of those was so absurd but right. I want to hear your well, true that, well answer. that's not I'm not gonna get to my number one yet because I've got okay, my number two got more. my, num love, my number love, two love. is James Earl Jones because he gets like three oh. or four hacks to the neck before his head comes off and that <laughs> is saw Ridge dude that that is like yeah, hacksaw Ridge <laughs> <laughs> is that the name for that temple um, yeah. the yeah, that's so that one's gnarly. <laughs> But my number one is the henchmen during the battle among the you know tombstones of the kings and warriors or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, where the wizard lives, where they when they draw James Earl Jones's uh, army there. Yeah, that place um, that kind of looks like Stonehenge almost. Like exactly. The, the pillars. Yeah, yeah. The the spring action joust into the chest of that guy. <laughs> Yeah, the booby trap. That, the like, lance just fucking <laughs> like it, that's like a, a foot wide cylinder of pain just yeah. spearing this guy. Yeah. And then Schwarzenegger just like walks up and just like watches him die pretty much. It's so crazy. God so damn. brute. 
So that's yeah. number one for you. That's the top my number route. one. So you had that one, the beheading guy, and, and James, James Earl Jones, Jones getting hacked on the top of the two tent. beheadings and a uh, death spike. Good to have top brutes back as a segment. I kind of oh, hope yeah. we get more. Like maybe if we well, we face off, we'll have them. I'm sure. Oh my god, face off's going to have so many good top brutes. Operation Condor might have a couple. Absolutely, Kung Fu yeah. Hustle. There's going. We've got plenty oh. on the board that will have top brutes. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So this will be a semi, uh, you know, a deciduous <laughs> section <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> but, um, so uh, yeah, that was top brutes. Kind of while we're on the topic of top brutes and over the top shit. Do you have any other scenes that you just thought were like hysterically extra, you know? I mean, the classic example would just be Arnold's first lines in the movie. Oh my God. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. I have them written down if you don't have it nearby. Go for it. Give it to us. It is, you know, it's when they're like in the kind of room and all the warriors and fellow like pit fighters, I believe, because I don't think he's free yet at this point. They're talking about like the best uh the best things in life and there's this like dolly's slow zoom in of conan and then someone's like conan what do you think it is people are spouting it out and he says to crush your enemies see them driven before you and hear the lamentations of the women (laughs) (laughs) and to give someone who really at this time did not speak very good english to give him lamentation as a word is quite the curveball. Well, he pulls it off. It works. <laughs> he nails it, dude. That I like laughed out loud. And like that was the sort of cheesiness I was expecting in this movie. And it is definitely there. Yeah. But I really was surprised at the quality of the overall film. It was so much better than I thought. But that was like so that kind of scratched that itch. Like getting lines like that gave me the good cheese that I was looking for. And then there was other stuff that I just was not expecting to get at all. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's that's good, like, ham and cheese, I would say. But, mm-hmm. like, the good just pure cheese to me, when he gets resurrected and, you know, at first it's Sandal Bergman just giving him, you know, this monologue of, like, how she'll, like, go to the ends of the earth for him kind of thing. And then it cuts to him, you know, on the beach just swinging his sword and just, like letting Arnold just use his bodybuilding skills to just pose and make these badass moves. I was just like, this is fucking rules. Like, and this is cheese. Like why the fuck are we just sitting here watching this guy move this sword around, you know, in weird ways. But like, it is so cool. It's just, it's so awesome. Like, you're just like, fuck yeah. Conan's going to go fuck some shit up now. Yeah. And he's like alive again. So he's like feeling his hands and like kind of finding his strength. And there's just got these waves crashing behind him. The colors and and the way he's framed is just, it's beautiful. Yeah, they cover so many different types of topography in this movie from snow, mountain, arid desert, like we were mentioning, ocean. And it's all just like, it just makes everything seem so big. Yeah, yeah, that really is does. just the good cheese. You're right. Well, he's got that sword. But the good ham and cheese, James Earl Jones turning into a snake was like, what the fuck? Holy <laughs> shit. I did not see that coming. And that was a great practical effect. Yeah. When his face started pulsing out. I was like, holy shit, this guy's turned into a snake. And it looked really believable. That was a that was a great effect. Yeah. No, I was a big fan of that. And as we said, you know, just the effects in general in this movie are really fun. Yeah, they're great. I think my one of my favorite mo- moments in the film was the fucking camel punch. That was <laughs> so absurd. And I just was howling, laughing. And I was like, I... 
love this movie. That's funny that you laughed. My reaction was, oh, camel. <laughs> it was just, well, it was a two for a laugh because at this point in the movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Subo Tai are like in the city and they're on that drug that's kind of like fucked them up a little bit and they're just talking shit and walking down the street. And I think Schwarzenegger gets like denied by some woman. And he calls her a slut. No, no, it's, no. It's a beggar. So the beggar, oh, a, I've got the quote here. The beggar okay, says, a pittance to protect you from evil, like asking for money. And Subutai is like, I am evil. And Kun is like, they're all sluts. He's dead already. And it's, it's instead of that very silly Arnold Schwarzenegger accent, he's just like, sluts. And he walks backwards into a camel and then just turns around and clocks it and the camel gets knocked unconscious and falls over one shot KO on a camel and I was just like, <laughs> like that is so ridiculous and I really I really laughed my ass off that and the fucking vulture thing when he the bites <laughs> the vulture <laughs> the vulture is outstanding that's actually another brute candidate too true, true. He, both of them really but when he just kills the vulture when he's being crucified by like biting its neck and th- thrashing it like a dog down to the earth. just so ridiculous. So good. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. No, th- this movie's full of that kind of shit. It's like, I, I don't, if you can't enjoy this movie, I don't, I don't know what's yeah. wrong with you. I don't know what's so much you. fun. It's just a blast. It's just a blast. And all the random ridiculous sex scenes are all so funny. Like when he gets lured into that first woman's I was, thing. I was howling when he starts banging the woman and he's about to nut and she turns into a witch. Yeah, yeah. Or like, I was like, what is the point of this? Like she turns into like a vampire witch and she's just thrashing as he's still inside of her. And she's like turning into a demon. It's so fucking funny. And I'm just like, this movie just does whatever it wants. Yeah, see, to me, like your reaction to Repo Man is kind of how I felt about this movie. Not to the same extent. Like I'm not like, this is not like an all timer for me at this point, but like, this is my version of that kind of schlock. Yes, yes. And I mean it's a it's got a, for me I think it's a top 5 Arnold. Oh yeah, I would agree. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Uh, maybe even top 3. But uh to, but yeah, I would have to sit there and do it, you know, on I'd really paper, give it a think. I, yeah. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, it's, but it's a great one and I'm I'm really glad we got to cover it. Are there other notes you want to hit before we wrap up here? I wanted to give a shout out to the makeup department specifically, you know, we mentioned the wardrobe and the costuming and, it, and all of that. It really is stellar. But some of like the war paint, like they were wearing when they first went into that temple and tried to uh, rescue the, the king's daughter, mm-hmm. like just looks cool, man. Like it's got like these tiger, black tiger stripes going across and it's just like dope war paint. And then the face paint on Schwarzenegger's face when he's on death's door and they're trying to keep him alive was just yeah. really good work. It's just like, just looked awesome. I read that, uh, Milius pulled that from uh, a Japanese film that he saw. Um, that was really interesting. So there's some pictures on, on the Wikipedia you can, you can find, uh, but yeah, it's, it's really beautiful makeup work. Yeah. Gorgeous, uh, throughout the movie and just, just great work all around. I think that's it from from my stuff. Did you have any notes you wanted to to touch base on before we roll out? Well, there was I mean there was one thing. I 
there was a line in the movie that caught me and I was like, where have I heard that before? I couldn't remember where I, I, I couldn't place it in the moment. I eventually did place it, but it's a line that Sandal Bergman gives where she says, do you want to live forever? And Conan also repeats this line, I think later or before, I don't remember which one it was, but they both say it at certain points. And I was like, where have I heard that before? I remembered it from Starship Troopers, but I wanted to to look into the uh, origins of it. And apparently it was a World War II Marine, or excuse me, in a World War One, And he was like a sergeant in that, that war. And he's like, basically just like trying to rally his troops. And he's like, what's the matter with you, man? You want to live forever? And then like led a charge. And it was like, fuck yeah, that's fucking cool. That's a good line. And it of course plays into Milius's background of like military history, you know, that he probably read that and was like, we got to put that in the movie. I'm pretty cool to give it to the female. Yeah. Like, cause it adds up to her just being a badass, like we talked about, but like, I think she says it when she like jumps off the, the wall into yeah. the, into the, yeah. into the pool. And she's just cool, man. This this reckless, awesome chick. What uh, are we wrapping up here? Are we good? Yeah, yeah. I think I mean, kind of just put a button on it. We both loved this movie, and yeah, I just I'm so glad we watched it. I liked it so much more than I was expecting to, and I think it's gonna be one I revisit every couple of years. And I'm actually I really want to see the second one. I've been I saw on Rotten Tomatoes and who gives a fuck that it's not regarded as highly. I would I, really I would like temper world. your expectations on it, but yeah, I I'm definitely down to check it out at some point probably. Yeah, I think as, to me I feel like fun. I'm, I'm worried that it's going to be more of a RoboCop 2 situation than it is a mm. T2 situation. Yeah, yeah, I get what I don't think it's going to be better and maybe that will turn out to be the film that I thought this was going to be. Um but even if it's just kind of fun and it's more of this world and more Arnold as Conan. I'm down. I think it would be fun to check out. Not on the show, but just on my personal time. For sure. No, I agree with you. I think this is going to be one that I'm going to revisit. It's it's really, really fun. And it, it's exactly what I love in movies. Just movies that want to be a movie. Just want to have fun and, and put on a, a spectacle and, and entertain. I just I had a blast with this movie. I'm really uh, appreciative of you for putting it on. Because it's not one that I would have thought of. But I'm so glad we watched it. Thanks. Shout out to Scott. Thank you, Scott, for the recommendation. That's going to do it on our episode of Conan the Barbarian. Everyone should check it out. Well worth the 3 or $4 rental. But uh, I think it's time we put something new on the board, and I think it's your week there, Jared. I believe it is. And two days ago, I was kind of like thinking, like, I had some contenders. There's this filmmaker I'm really intrigued in checking out. I guess PTA loves him from like that, you know, he's from England. But then one came up yesterday organically in conversation with Jeff. And I was like, shit, that would be a really good one to put on the board. It's kind of a shamer of mine. And I don't know if you've seen it or not. If you've seen it, I want to tell you what the other idea is. If you haven't seen it, I want to go for this movie. Okay. The film is Dirty Harry. You ever seen it? I have never seen Dirty Harry. And you know what? It ties into today's movie because John Milius wrote the original script for for Dirty Harry, I believe. Holy or shit. or he might have done uncredited script work. I can't remember what it was, but he had some involvement with that. So, yeah, Jeff mentioned it in the car. We were driving to disc golf the other day, and he's like, if you, I saw Dirty Harry for the first time, and it was, it was good, really good. Like, Clint Eastwood's so cool. And I was like, I've never seen it. 
I think that's a really good dartboard candidate. And uh, I think it'd be a good one. Lord knows we'll hit 16 soon. Jesus but, Christ. Uh, Let's hope not. Let's let that right. one stew on the board for a bit. But at the same time, I would be stoked to hit it. So, yeah, I'm nice. down. Let's put Dirty Harry on. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Let's do Dirty Harry. Awesome. Well, Dirty Harry's going in there at number 16. Let's hope we don't make that 6 out of 12 <laughs> uh, with this next throw. But even still, as it stands, our current board is number one, you can count on me. Number two, Ex Machina. Number three, The Right Stuff. Number four, The Big Sleep. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, The Sixth Sense. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, The Fifth Element. Number nine, Days of Heaven. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Heathers. Number 12, The Straight Story. Number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Number 14, Schindler's List. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Dirty Harry. Number 17, The, D- the Blair Witch Project. Number eight, 18 waking life number 19 face off and number 20 kung fu hustle hell yeah dude So there we go there we go any any you're cheering for i guess i'm just going to continue to aim for that single digits baby single digits anything single digits so that's in like the on a clock face like the 9 to 12 p.m range right or yeah am too i guess <laughs> 9 to 1 i think it is but yeah cool all right uh i'm gonna aim for that right-handed Let's see what we get. First time for everything. Oh, yeah? The first throw was steaming straight for the one, and it bounced off a piece of metal and flew back. (laughs) It hit one of the... It hit one of the rib joints and just got rejected. It was like I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Poor Picked Mark it up. Ruffalo. He, he's got. I'll have to apologize to him again tonight. But we did hit something on the second throw. The dart has spoken. And what does it have to say? The dart says twenty. Wow, Kung Fu Hustle. Hustle, baby. And it's going to be on me again to come up with the last movie to end out my uh, my monologue of names. I had a good stretch with The Ballad of Cable Hogue for a while, but I am so excited for you to see this fucking movie, dude. I, I think it might be sneakily one of the ones I was most wanting and had forgotten about in a way. Like I'm super jazzed about this. It's been on my radar forever. I'm really excited to get to it. And we're going to get some more Top Brutes next week. Hell yeah, dude. We can look <laughs> forward to the next installment of Top Brute. Hell yeah. Well, that's going to do it for our episode on Conan the Barbarian. Next week is Kung Fu Hustle. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Please remember to rate, review, and give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for the show is created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. Sorry, Mike. Later. Later.